Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 16 of MacBook Pro. Just wanted to say thank you if you're a first time listener and you're wondering what this podcast is even about. Uh, Simply put, I would say it's a podcast about life and just being extremely vulnerable and, you know, showing through the lessons that I've experienced in my life that there's good in everything. There's a lesson to be learned in pretty much every mistake that I've ever made. And my hope is that by listening to this and me, you know, me being honest about the experiences that I've had, that maybe you will also feel more confident in your own skin and on my journey to self-forgiveness and self-acceptance that you will also learn to forgive and accept yourself. So let's, uh, let's jump straight into this episode. Today's episode, I really wanted to focus on feelings and how they, from a male perspective, how they fit into a relationship. Um, So if you don't want to hear anything about my feelings and you don't care about that, please skip this episode. It's definitely not going to be for you. Um, But I would say the majority of my listeners are probably uh, women anyway these days because <laughs> it's been brought to my attention that a lot of my guy friends um, don't listen to the to the podcast or if they do you know they don't they don't tell me um, no feelings uh, like no hurt feelings or anything like that I understand um, for me I tend to listen to a lot of podcasts that. I would say majority of them are male podcast hosts, but they usually cover philosophical topics or topics around emotions and mental health and, you know, stories and stuff like that. So that's why my podcast is in that area. It's just what what comes naturally to me because it's what I care about. So one of the things that I've noticed over, let's say, the last 10 years 11 years of me, you know, dating and being in and out of relationships is that there is a huge disconnect between my abilities to feel and express emotion in a relationship kind of context and my ability to feel and express my emotions while watching a movie or even something as short as a commercial. And I don't know where this comes from. I know that this is like a stereotype that exists, but like I'm one of the guys that when I'm having an argument or a disagreement or, you know, going through a breakup in person, I tend to be very cold. The way that I communicate, it's pretty much like this. And my voice doesn't usually go up. I don't usually cry. I don't usually feel a lot in that moment. But if I'm watching a movie and it could be, it literally could be anything. Um, 
Like I watched Forrest Gump today and at the end of the movie and spoiler, uh, like spoiler alert for anybody that hasn't seen the movie, just, you know, hit the 15 second skip forward button. Um, but you know, Forrest is watching TV with his son and he has met him now for the first time. And I just lost my shit. And that's a, that's an example where I think it's completely, or, or an, sorry, another part of that movie was like his mom died and and I lost my shit again. S- sorry, spoiler alert, I should have said, but, um, you know, for me, that's like completely fine. You know, I, I don't think anybody would think that that was out of the ordinary. It's like a really beautiful and touching moment. It just draws a lot of emotion to the surface because of the music and the context and the buildup and you invest in the characters, whatever. But for me, I've noticed that like I even cry in comedies. I cry in rom-coms. I cry at commercials. Um, it's really, it's really insane, but it's not like long, by the way. It's like, I just tear up and it's like 15 seconds of just like feeling immense, like either like immense beauty. Like if I'm, you know, watching something and it just like brings me to tears, it could be like something that's beautiful. It could be something that's happy. It could be something that's sad and I just like lose it. And it's been a complaint in the past, as I mentioned, that like I don't necessarily show those same emotions in a relationship when things are going, um, you know, south because of the circumstances. And I feel like there's a an expectation that a lot of, maybe that a lot of guys have of themselves because we're taught from a really young age that we need to be like really tough. So there's this expectation that like, you know, guys don't cry. At least that used to be like the tough guy um, mentality that a lot of people had in the nineties and maybe even the early two thousands. And I would definitely say that like I fit in to that stereotype in certain ways. Like I've never cried because of physical violence, at least that I can remember. And I always used to get into fistfights throughout high school and middle school and elementary school. I got into a big one and it was just like physical pain never made me cry. I never felt like it was a trigger for me to tear up. But when music, when there was a combination of music, especially sad music and a movie scene, it was like, I could not control myself. Like I remember I cried while watching the movie radio when I was in sixth grade or something. And yeah, I've always just like lost my shit during movies. And on one hand, I really like that I'm able to express my emotion in that way because it is such a relief, you know, while you're watching something to be able to feel all the feels. It's such a beautiful feeling. But in a way, it almost feels like it's pornographic in the sense that like there's a distance between what you're seeing on the screen and how how it enables you to experience that same thing in real life. And that's that's a really big problem because 
you know, when I'm going through a really tough time in a relationship or having a difficult conversation with a family member or, you know, something really tragic has happened, it's not like I'm going to open up Spotify and start playing sad music just so that I can feel that that way in real life. It's almost like I have to put salt on my food to taste it. And that's like not ideal, right? Because I think it's beautiful when you're in a relationship and you're both able to open up to one another and have really deep conversations about life and love and fears and goals and everything just flows so easily. Like that comes so naturally to me, having those those kinds of conversations. But it almost feels sometimes like that's where it ends for me, is being able to actually show with my with my tears and, you know, those feelings of grief. And uh, now I realize like this does actually sound like therapy. Um, but it it's interesting because the common thing that I've heard because I'm, because like I watched, I've watched movies with girlfriends and stuff. is like, you cry at movies, but you won't cry in the relationship. And it seems like you don't care. And I think what it is, is like, when there's a really small um, burst of emotion, it's really easy for me to process it. So like if I just feel like really sad because of something that's happening in a movie, it could be like five to 10 seconds or 15 seconds of me just like losing my shit. But when it's something larger and it requires like me to process it, it takes me time usually to process my emotions. And that's, you know, a huge challenge for me because the other person doesn't have, you know, unlimited, unlimited time for you to process your emotion. You know, you might be able to say, Hey, I need some time to think about this. And then you come back after you've had some time to think, but you know, it can take weeks. It can take months for me to feel like I'm, I'm finally able to like understand something or finally able to process it. So that's a, that's a tough thing. And you know, like just going back into dating in general, I don't want to be on autopilot anymore. I don't want it to feel like the other person is just getting the old version of me repackaged again. And I used to have this mindset where I thought like, I am perfect the way that I am. And if somebody can't accept that, then they're not for me. And I just have come to the realization though that that's not how dating should be approached. The other person should not complete you. I will, I will say that, but you should not feel like you are the perfect version of yourself or like, you know, that you're willing to settle for who you are now. And the other person should too. It's like, we're all works in progress. We kind of all need to show up and be willing to put the work in to make it actually function. And, um, that's just, I think a a really big shortcoming that movies drill into us is like this idea, like, oh, you're just going to meet the perfect person and they're going to like make you feel, you know, that everything is okay and that the world is a perfect place and all this other stuff. But it's like, that's just the beginning of the relationship and then you need to really be able to to know how to sustain that now at this point though i've really like 
probably this is just beating a dead horse. So I just want to bring it back to like the expectations that women have of men and the expectations that men put on themselves and others of being tough. Like it's a really a nice feeling. I'm just going to say this. Like it's a nice feeling to be vulnerable for me at least. And the reason that I think like I find so much peace in it is that I know that I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of the world. And I know a lot of a lot of men I've known a lot of men over the years that are afraid of other men. You know, they're afraid of physical confrontation, they're afraid to stand up for themselves, they're afraid of being challenged, they're afraid of being wrong, they're afraid, you know, that if they fail, every single thing in their life is going to be revealed as like a fraud. And in my case, like, I think this just was because like I had bullies growing up and I actually had, I actually was taught by my uncle and my great grandma. I know it's kind of a weird combo, but um, my great grandma says, if anybody ever puts your, puts their hands onto you, you put your hands onto them. That was something that she said. And you have to forgive her. You know, she was 86, I think when she said that or 85. Um, but, and I was probably, I don't know, in like sixth or seventh grade, maybe eighth grade when she said that to me, but I never forgot it. And my uncle taught me, um, like pretty basic self-defense. I think the thing that he taught me that was the most important was he taught me how to lift weights, like the proper form and stuff like that, which was a confidence boost later on in life. Um, but the reason that like that was so important to me is like, I've never in my entire life felt like I kept my mouth shut when somebody said something to me that hurt me or that disrespected me. I've never been able to, I've just, I don't tolerate, I don't tolerate bullies. I don't tolerate, um, you know, egotistical assholes. I just don't have it in me. And it doesn't mean that it needs to escalate to a form of like physical touch or anything like that. It's just like, if somebody says something to me and it's like very clearly an attack against me, I have no problem looking them in the eyes and asking them to repeat themselves. And that usually does it. I mean, it depends on the situation, but I'll be like, sorry, excuse me, can you say that to me again? And (laughs) I don't know. I just, I guess like what I've found is I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of them. I'm not afraid of it getting to a point of physical violence. And so I'm completely comfortable telling anyone how I feel about anything pretty much. It's a, it could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing in certain circumstances, you know, kind of like an open book. Um, but it's, it's really, it does come back to bite me in the ass because of how vulnerable I am with so many things. And then the real world application of it sometimes is a bit, um, lacking, I would say just my kind of like coldness and stuff during, um, breakups and really tough conversations. But something that I'm, I'm trying to do is really work on my empathy and really try to get into a place where I don't just imagine like what it would feel like for me, because that's, that's only one part of it, but really try to imagine what it feels like for them. So not like me putting myself in their shoes, but me like imagining what it's like in their shoes without inserting myself into it at all. It's like the platinum rule. Don't do like, do unto others what you think they would want for themselves, not what you would want for yourself pretty much. It's like that. It's the same concept. And so 
that has just been like a, a pretty good exercise. And I do a morning meditation every day. It's now, it's um, 35 minutes. It's guided. It's from Joe Dispenza. And I'm just trying, you know, really, really hard to get in touch with that part of me that isn't isn't closed off. I don't know if it's there, to be honest. Um, you know, there's there's a part of me that thinks, well, maybe it was never there. There's another part of me that thinks maybe something changed and it could have been like the first relationship that I had because it was super toxic and very painful. And maybe I just became like closed off in that way. But it doesn't matter what the history is. Like that doesn't serve me. It doesn't matter if there's a story behind it. What matters is understanding that I want it to change and that I'm willing to work to make it possible to change that. Because I think human beings are incredible. I love people and I love just like that human connection that comes from just like having a conversation with someone, making eye contact and cracking a joke or telling a story or like, you know, hearing them say something that brings you to a place or like you're walking down the street and, you know, you just pass like a group of people and someone's wearing a perfume that brings you back to like some perfume that you smelled when you were like a, a little kid and you just have like a flashback to something. It's just, we're all so interconnected in in we're just so like we depend on each other for so many different things and the human experience in my mind is one of struggle but it's also just this like incredible beauty and the more that i can do to understand the people around me and to become a more empathetic and caring and patient person the better the world is going to be even if it only impacts one person, it's still a net positive impact. And one person has a better experience, even if it's temporary, just because I am trying to put the work in for myself. And someone that I look at all the time, and I've mentioned him before, is my buddy Zay. Um, he lives in Mexico right now, in Mexico City. But yeah, he's just like, a, in my mind, a shining example. You know, he's helped me in so many situations, just like bringing me out of a place of, of pain and and confusion and suffering whatever that was like a longer time ago like 11 years ago or so but yeah now because of him and our strong friendship over the years um i feel like i'm able to bring other people up when i need them as well so yeah that is pretty much like the purpose of me you know doing this and, and having these kinds of conversations and i just find that it's um it's like we have all of these expectations that like we put on each other, like it's broken down into, you know, so many different um, dichotomies, right? But like men versus women, young people versus older people, introverts versus extroverts, whatever it is. And at the end of the day, like I change. I'm a different person when I wake up at whatever time I get up in the morning. I'm a different person at that time than I am at four o'clock in the afternoon. I'm a different person on a Monday morning than I am on a Thursday evening or that I, you know, the person I am in the fall is different from the person that I am in the summer. It's just, 
I, sh- I I don't think that we should feel that we have to like live up to this perfectly consistent identity. I think it's okay to be fluid somewhat and to like, you know, change with the season, so to, so to say, um, and to just like understand for ourselves, you know, what true North really means. And for me, I stopped drinking for seven months and the maybe last weekend, actually not this past weekend, but the weekend before I had, uh, I'd gone out for my first drink in a very long time, as I just mentioned, seven months. And I had a conversation with one of my buddies who's very much black and white, like I am with a lot of things. And what he said to me was, look, we do the same sorts of stuff all the time. You know, I make it black and white and then I quit doing the thing and then time passes. And then eventually if I go back to it, I feel like I'm giving up my identity And so if I do end up doing the thing that I quit, there's so much shame attached to it that it ends up going in the complete opposite direction. And it's pretty much like a pendulum uh, shift that like pushes me into like a period of like either excessive partying or self-loathing, whatever it is. And that's exactly how I have been for a very long time. You know, I've always treated anything that I've quit as like, okay, I'm never doing it again. And to be honest, I don't really miss, I don't really miss alcohol. So it's not like I feel, I don't know. I I don't feel like I would have trouble quitting again for like a long period of time or anything like that. But I guess the thing that I was missing from my life over the past seven months was some level of balance and also just like that human connection that comes from just being open and spontaneous. Now, I'm not saying that alcohol needs to be part of the equation for that to happen. I just think that when your friends invite you to go out, it's it's less enticing, I think. It's less enticing to want to go out with them if, you know, you're always just going to be the one that like shows up, uh, you know, right when it starts because yeah, you're just trying to kind of like show up as early as possible so that you can leave at a normal time, a normal time for a sober person. It's hard to stay up. It's really difficult to stay up if you've had a long day of work and you're not drinking. And I guess like what I was just missing was, you know, having those kinds of spontaneous hangouts and just like, I haven't even drank a lot since I started again. I think I've had like three drinks most at most on any given night. And it's just been super nice. It's just been cool to like, I've been getting to know my neighbors a little bit better. They live across the hall. I actually found out yesterday because I asked them that they can't hear anything that goes on in my apartment. So even though I sometimes loudly freestyle rap on my couch and I just like make up rap songs while I'm bored or I record the podcast or I'm on sales calls, they're like, we don't hear what you're doing in your in your place. And that's nice because it means that I can keep doing this podcast without, (laughs) I was going to say without them ever finding out, but first of all, I don't say anything bad about them because I really do like them. And second of all, I'm putting the podcast out. So yeah, they don't, they can just wait for me to release it. They don't have to eavesdrop. So anyway, um, 
That was a nice confidence boost though that I pretty much have like this studio set up where nobody hears what I'm saying until I've published it. And um, I don't even know how I got onto this topic, to be honest. I guess it was just like, you know, understanding forgiveness and all that and the shame that comes with um, having an identity shift that you eventually like flip flip back, uh, flip-flop back into the contrary viewpoint. That was a really clunky way of saying it. But anyway, I haven't felt shame. I haven't felt like I'm drifting back into like a place of, you know, really beating myself up. I'm actually quite proud of how I've been treating myself recently. And I think so much of it just comes from realizing that I, no matter how much I fuck up on any given day, I am leagues ahead, leagues ahead of where I would be if I was just living my life on autopilot. And I actually have a real shot at achieving all these crazy things that are on my plate right now and living a life that just makes me feel absolutely in touch with my highest purpose. So yeah, you know, I still don't really, I mean, I'm not planning on like going back to eating meat or going back to eating sugar or, you know, consuming things in a way that's like mindless. I don't plan on, you know, letting that kind of creep back into my life. But I think it's just important to realize that the worst case scenario of anything happening to me at all is still so much less severe than not being here, not being on this earth, not being able to keep pushing forward and, you know, trying to like make a a difference in this world. And so you know, we may fall down, but we can get back up. There's a really good saying that my mom used to have framed in our house when we were kids. It's uh, the Mother Teresa quote, and it's not about the religious aspect of it that I'm quoting it, but I'll just say it. I know that God wouldn't give me anything that I couldn't handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. I really like that. Um, I'm not religious myself, I would say I'm spiritual. Um, I definitely believe that there is something and, uh, and I, I'm just open to possibilities, but I really like that saying because really what it says to me is if you're open for amazing things to happen, it's going to be a challenge because the more space you free up in your life, for new ideas and new projects and new people and experiences, the more they're going to find, the more that your life is going to find a space for them. So the more space you have open, the more they're going to actually fit into your lives. I know that that sounds, again, clunky and probably really obvious, but like if you don't make space for things in life intentionally, it's very easy for like your evenings to just be Netflix. It's very easy for your weekends to just be like being a potato on the couch. It's easy for sports to be thrown out the window, um, for healthy meals to be swapped out for takeout, and for meaningful romantic connections to be substituted for, I don't know, like old flings that you can just like text and say, hey, what are you doing tonight? Nothing wrong with it, just saying, if we're not intentional about the things that we do 
our lives have a very funny way of letting in what we accept essentially there's a rule it's a it's a psychological rule it's called parkinson's law i don't know if it's technically psychological or if it's like organizational um organizational studies or like a behavior principle whatever however you want to call it maybe it's even a business term parkinson's law pretty much says that your work will expand to fit the amount of time that you've allotted for it. So if you have an hour for a meeting, chances are the meeting is going to go on for the full hour, which is why so many companies these days are trying to be more mindful of people in the company's scheduling time for meetings. And so your life does work in a very similar way. If you don't schedule in the gym, chances are you're not going to go that day if you don't schedule it in, you know especially if you get really busy because you might have 30 minutes in the morning and 30 minutes at night. And if you are not intentional, they remain um, separate and you might not be able to actually use those 30 minutes by themselves. But if you're really intentional, maybe you move something from the morning to the evening and then you actually have an hour because the 30 minutes in the evening now has something else and you have like a full block. And that's just like one of the ways that you can do it. And so um, being intentional is just something that I'm really passionate about because I've just seen incredible benefits from journaling and meditating and um, writing on my affirmations and just kind of asking myself what it is that I want and why. And it carries over into dating as well. Like one of the things that a lot of people say is that they feel like they go on these dates and the dates are interviews. And for me, like, I don't really feel, I don't feel like I'm an interviewer, at least like the way that I approach dates, I just try to have conversations and try to understand how the other person thinks, but I, I don't have like a set agenda for what I'm hoping the other person is going to say. You know, I used to though, I used to, when I was a little bit younger, when I was like probably 26 or 25, I remember I would meet a girl and I would hope that they would say things in a certain way, like that they would have a certain philosophy on life, that they would, um, you know, that they would have the same things in common with me, or that they would have some other aspects um, that I could just like check off of a list. But I've just come to realize like, it's just not the, it's not the healthiest way about going about dating, because if people can change and people can grow, then where you are right now in your life is not going to be necessarily where you stay forever. And what's to me more important about meeting someone and getting to know them, what's more important than like understanding where they are right now is just understanding like how they think, what they care about. If you can get a sense of whether or not they're a good person. You know, I, I used to say like I would... I'd love to I'd love to date someone who's like a best-selling author and or or a college professor or you know a CEO or whatever it is. I used to really 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 want that for the just for the sake of them being that person and having those skills or having that mindset. And now it's like very different. Now I just like want someone that I can have like super deep philosophical conversations with and wake up smiling next to and go to sleep smiling next to. 
Um, there was a relationship that I was in recently where I woke up unhappy, spent most of the day unhappy, and went to sleep unhappy pretty much every day for months. And it felt like I could already see the end of my life. And it was terrifying to me. It felt like I started off the relationship and my life, it was like, my my life felt like I was sitting in, um, what are those, uh, I don't know, a ski lift. Wow, that did not come easily to me. Felt like when I started the relationship, it started in such a good way that I was like on a ski lift going up a mountain and it was like sunrise. And the more elevation I got, the more I could see the sun coming over the mountain. And it just felt like life was so bright and beautiful and full of potential. But once we got out of the honeymoon phase, it felt like the sun was gone and I was just living in darkness. And I realized that What's really important is just understanding what the other person cares about and thinks about because when things are past the honeymoon stage, you're going to be spending a lot of time with that person. You're going to really know that person inside and out and like what they care about. And, you know, the relationship is really just like a compilation of all of these little micro moments that you have together where maybe you both are working from home and you have your call scheduled for the day or whatever you're doing and like maybe you have like a 20 minute lunch together as you're both like rushing to the next call and you you know you have like your like little banter at the kitchen table and then you know maybe your girlfriend has to go back to the to the um to the desk before you do because she has a, a more urgent call. And so you clean up and you put the dishes in the dishwasher, right? And it's like, it's a little micro moment that in isolation doesn't really matter, but like they kind of build up really quickly and they start to mean a lot. And so it's just important to find somebody that like really compliments you in that kind of way and someone that makes you feel like you're seen and you're loved and you're heard. And if you feel like you're in a relationship where the other person doesn't see you and doesn't make you feel valid and maybe even like puts you down, it's just important to like know that it doesn't mean that that person's not a good person. It probably just means that you're not compatible for each other. And there's nothing wrong with that um, from an ethical standpoint. And it doesn't mean that that person can't become the person for you. If it's incompatibility right now, it doesn't have to remain incompatibility. It could change if the other person has a really open mindset and you do too, and you're willing to kind of grow together in some kind of way. Meditation could be a really good way for that, for instance, just having a little bit more time scheduled to spend with the other person. Maybe you hold hands and you you know sit on the couch and you meditate. Meditation doesn't have to be this like crazy, crazy, uh, you know, Buddhist experience where you reach enlightenment. It can really just be like 20 minutes, 10 minutes, even less of just uninterrupted silence. And you just give yourself the time to acknowledge the thoughts that are entering your mind. You say, mm, that's a thought. And you let the thought pass. And then you just like keep your mind 
um, kind of open, but yeah, you just go with the flow kind of. I've just found that like meditating allows me to identify those automatic thoughts later in the day. And for me, that was one of the biggest problems that I've had in past relationships. The other person felt like I was on autopilot, like I just wasn't present. So I think now if I were in a relationship, it'd be a little bit different in the sense that I think I would be more aware of how I show up and how I operate in space. But I would also need to establish the boundaries immediately in any relationship without feeling like I needed to hide it or, you know, out of fear of being judged. I would just say, hey, when I am in a relationship in the past, I didn't make enough time for myself in the morning. And I just realized that it was extremely important for me to do so. And so every day I carve out an hour to an hour and a half where I pretty much just have alone time. And that's something that I need. And that's it. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that I don't want to spend time with you. It doesn't mean that I, um, it doesn't mean that you can't be involved in it either. It doesn't have to be me by myself, but there needs to be like silence. And for the rest of the day, there's flexibility and I'm, I'm able to, to make those adjustments. And so being vulnerable to me is just about acting in a sustainable manner. Because when you're vulnerable and you tell the other person how you feel and why you feel that way and you're truthful about why you feel the way that you do, it means that you can continue to show up as yourself throughout the relationship because you have prepared the other person for who you are when the honeymoon phase is over. And I think I said that in my last episode, but or the episode before it, but that's so important. It's really important that people understand that the person that you are in the beginning of the relationship might be a very, very uh, amplified version of who you really are. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we've all had friends that have fallen in love and you know they're so motivated by the other person and so excited that they seem like they would you know, be willing to join the Peace Corps or like, you know, volunteer and build houses. Like they just have so much like love and so much enthusiasm for the world and they cannot find anything negative in the world around them, which might be a far cry from who they are normally. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's just important that we be realistic with each other when we're in relationships to say, hey, I really like you and I don't want you to think that I don't, but this is not like the version that you see here is the person that you see here is a more extreme version of who I really am. And I think your goal as a person should be trying to get the version that you are after the honeymoon phase is over to be as close to who you are during the honeymoon phase. Because I think just like alcohol, the honeymoon phase is just it's an accelerant added to a fire. So it's an amplification of the person that you already are. But a lot of people, when they get out of the honeymoon phase and they switch over to oxytocin, I guess that's like the, the hormone. I think, again, I mentioned that in the last episode, we just kind of like the problems start to settle and kind of just like set in. And we start to focus more again on the things that we don't like, as opposed to the things that were driving us crazy in a good way, because now we're just kind of over 
the initial hump. And so if you are happy and you're, you have a growth mindset and you're meditating and you're like empathetic and you really do work on making the other person feel seen and loved and heard and they work on making you feel seen and loved and heard, then I see no reason why over a long period of time you shouldn't be able to get along and be really happy and have like a really beautiful friendship, but also have like a partnership and a romance. And, um, you know, as like a guy, I, the advice that I would give any man that that's listening to this is like you being vulnerable with someone is not an admission of weakness. It's not to say that you're broken. It's not to say that like the world around you is going to come crumbling down. If people realize that you're afraid of things, if that, if they realize that you, you know, feel certain ways about things, it's like, we don't have to, you know, have this like, um, we don't have to have this stereotype anymore of men being macho and all that. I think there's so much more nuance to it. Like you can be a macho guy who does MMA. You can go to the gym. Um, you know, you can drink your protein shakes. Uh, you can pick up, you know, beautiful girls on the beach, really just do all the things that like we would associate with macho behavior. And you can still have feelings. You can still just be like a normal person and, you know, be sensitive. And, you know, I'm going to say some stuff that I have never said on this podcast. And I really, you know, I only do this so that you guys know that the stakes for me are, I just want to push the stakes every single time that I reveal stuff. You know, I could just tell you guys the same things over and over again, but I don't because you know, it has to be a challenge for me as well, right? From like, that's what vulnerability is. When you're vulnerable about stuff and you tell people, eventually the pain disappears because you're no longer um, holding on to it. You kind of release it. So I'll just reveal a few things really quickly. When I was a kid, my dad used to hit me. Um, my parents were separated from the time that I was born. And yeah, my dad was uh, an abusive drunk and he hit me and yeah, it was not an ideal situation, but my mom luckily rescued us and brought us from Oklahoma to New York when I was still, you know, really young. I think I moved to New York when I was like four and a half or almost, actually I just turned five. So, you know, that was a shitty thing that happened, but it doesn't have any power over me. It's not something that like I've ever announced to the world, but it doesn't have any power over me because I don't have any trouble talking about it. Um, I think what might actually be harder to say is that I listen to uh, Taylor Swift quite often. I also like Birdie. Listen to some Hoser. Hoser? Hoser? <laughs> Yo, I'm embarrassed now that I mispronounced that. I listen to a lot of... Um, like fall emo music. So I listen to some like classics like Fleetwood Mac, but there's quite a few songs. Um, yeah, from like uh, Vance Joy. Uh, I definitely had some like, I went through like a bit of a, a Britney Spears uh, phase just because like something I always do after breakups is I listen to the music that my ex-girlfriend had listened to that like they really loved the music that I associate with the person 
I usually just face that head on. It really sucks. But it for me, I've just found that by being extremely vulnerable right after the relationship ends and, you know, going to the places that like I know are going to hurt me because they're going to remind me, eventually over time you become desensitized. So I would always listen to music that would like remind me of them so that I can get over the pain faster. And yeah, there's nothing wrong with listening to um, Taylor Swift. And I don't, I'm not ashamed of it. I mean, I just announced it, right? But I listen to a lot of shit. Like I listen to a lot of different kinds of music and it's just part of my identity. It's just part of who I am. You hear that? Taylor Swift is part of my identity, but no shame. I guess like I just enjoy, I just enjoy the full human experience. I like music that makes me feel. I like music that kind of allows me to disconnect. You know, if I'm like listening to music while working, I use music as like medicine for sure. There's a lot of different uses for it. Like really, really aggressive rap music is great for the gym, but I guess I don't have to tell you guys that you probably know. But the point is I'm vulnerable because I can be, and I hope that it allows anyone that listens to this that is afraid to be themselves to be okay with being vulnerable as well. Because there's really like once life is over, first of all, nobody remembers you. I mean, you might be in some textbooks and stuff, but it's only a matter of time, statistically speaking, before nobody remembers you at all. And if you're so afraid to live your life that you pretty much hide behind, you know, what you think people are going to want from you, you're going to know that you're lying and you're never going to feel like yourself. So yeah, I just, for me, I just hope that, uh, if you're listening to this, that this was helpful for you. And if you have any recommendations uh, of music, feel free to shoot them over. I'll listen to it. I'll let you know how I feel. I'm not too proud, um, to, to listen to, <laughs> I'm not too proud to listen to, to some pop music <laughs> and, uh, thank you. Next is also an amazing song by, um, Ariana Grande. Honestly, what a good song, but we don't have time for that. I am going to brush my teeth. It's 1030 at night. We got robbed one hour last night with daylight savings here in Germany. Hopefully this is the last time that it ever happens. I don't know who keeps spreading this rumor that this is the last year, but every single year someone spreads the rumor. And uh, I really hope that it is the last year because now it's technically 930 and I would be going to bed and waking up tomorrow and feeling like, oh, this is great. I'm up early. But if I tried to wake up tomorrow at, you know, six o'clock in the morning, my normal time, it'll be seven o'clock, I think. Yes. So I need to wake up an hour earlier than I would so that I can get onto a new schedule. So with that, I wish everyone a very, very good week. I don't know when I'm going to release this episode yet. So whatever time and day it is, um, yeah, when times get, when today gets tough or tomorrow gets tough, just remember that Macklin Buckler admitted that he listens to Birdie and uh, he did that for you. So yeah, anyway, I'm going to stop talking about myself in the third person and just say peace out, guys.